Shout out to the Light Hops. I'm here for the fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, for the guilty, the innocent citizens, and the immigrants. If you ain't listening, you're missing out. Bear witness to the realest out. But they listening. If my voice didn't work, but my hands could talk, would you take the time to see what a deaf man thought? I could be alone and homeless, hurt won't heal, but my cardboard signs so my words are real. Would you stop to drop change or stop for a change, engage in conversation and exchange names? Or maybe you would listen if my image was a bitch, big lips and bigger tits, show you what real sex is. But what if I was picked for graves, sick for days, aged to be sick with AIDS? Would you listen to my story that I swear is touching or just... Blank stare, cause you scared to touch me If I'm Jewish or Christian, does it affect your decision to See past religion and simply listen to wisdom Would you really listen to my views on the government If my raps were Democrat and yours a Republican Whether I'm black or white, gay, straight, hermaphrodite Half the time trash the light and we all act alike So pass the mic, don't assist being ignorant Unclench your fist for a bit and just listen To the Kid and Crash podcast. His name is Kid. His name is Crash. Man, that felt good, man. I know, man. It's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while, while been man. A while. So it's been what? Three so months. Three months. months since since you've been out recording because of. Yeah, man. I just you know I want to spend some time with some family during this quarantine. I figured you know I'd head on down to Florida. Came back with some dangle earrings. Hey, man. You know you things happen. Different. See, this is what happens when you go Florida to Florida. Change you. Florida, you can't go to Florida, place. man. It's a wild place. But no, it's good to have you back, bro. Good to be back. It's about 6.30 in Dallas, man, and we're joined today with a very, very, very special guest. Um, I'm very excited about this episode. Uh, this is something I've been wanting to dive into for a long time, uh, and it seemed just perfect for the time, uh, perfect with the, sure. current, the current climate. Uh, Dallas is up in, it's very loud right now, and as the, is the, the rest of the world is, right is you know? The world so, is. But I think this is a good time for us to kind of stop and just reflect a little bit on everything we've been seeing, everything we've been hearing, and just listen to each other for a little bit, you yeah, know? So sure. we're joined here with the beautiful, brilliant Kaylin Ford, um, licensed professional counselor, um, exquisitely brilliant when it comes to minority mental health. Thank uh, you. <laughs> yes, but thank you for joining us today. It's, of it's great to have you. Thank you for coming out Thanks here. Thanks for coming on the pod. Of course, of course. It's such an important topic, so... Um, thank you for inviting me. For sure, for sure. For the people who are listening, uh, could you dive into a little bit about your practice and like what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm actually licensed in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I work primarily with um, individuals that struggle with uh, major depression, um, anxiety. Um, I also help at a behavioral health hospital, so I help with people that struggle with um, suicidal thoughts, um, who have either attempted suicide or... Um, kind of struggle with major depression that kind of lead to those types of thoughts and anxiety. Um, after that, I started to kind of branch out. So I just started a private practice actually during um, this pandemic that focuses on minority mental health, um, life transitions, and um, as well the depression and anxiety that kind of comes on along with life transitions. I yeah. think anytime you have a life transition, it kind of brings some anxiety. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of what I work on, uh, especially with youth. 
Uh, I noticed a lot of times, a lot of our youth, especially like minority youth, they might not have the best support system sometimes when it comes to um, seeking out therapy, especially in minority communities. Sometimes we don't talk about things. We so. definitely don't. I, no, mm, not at all. Like I just want to interject on that point. Yeah. Especially in being African American, our youth, we don't talk about depression, anxiety, those feelings at all. I can tell you like, exactly what at all. I can tell you exactly what that was called near where I was from. They were called white people problems. <laughs> yeah. Like you, I'm so serious. Like they're like depression. That's white people problems. My policy be like, what are you depressed about? You got a roof yeah. for your head, clothes <laughs> on your back, food on the table. What are you depressed about? That, it's almost that, like, that, like those are actual. Him. <laughs> but it's a common thing. Like a lot of people don't know that, so it's like trying to normalize it. It should be normalized. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's right. awesome. That's beautiful work you're doing. I mean, something that needs it. to be discussed and more open and freely spoken on. I, I, I think that's why a lot of our, and I'm glad it's becoming more popular now. But it's a lot of our like issues in our in our minority society. I think stem from a lot of that stuff too. That pent up. Aggression, anger, depression, anxiety, all that stuff that, right. you know, it boils over and mm-hmm. you kind of see what, what's kind of going on in the world. And so. especially during this time, a lot of us don't realize, I, I was actually just on, um, I did a, a Zoom call uh, talking about minority mental health last Saturday. And on that talk, we kind of talked about how we have a lot of traumas that we have experienced just as a people in general that we don't really know or we don't really <clears throat> notice. So all the things that we think about before we, you know, go out and interact with other people, it's all like a traumatic response. Um, So a lot of times, I'm sure a lot of you can kind of think about when you interact with other people, especially white people, do you kind of question the way that you um, interact with them before you do or the way that you Mm -hmm. dress before you go somewhere or Mm -hmm. um, even like dealing with police, different things like that. We always are second guessing things or walking on eggshells or trying to make other people feel comfortable. Most people don't have to think about those things. Like you shouldn't have to think about what you're wearing before you (laughs) go out somewhere to make sure that you're being treated one way. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, we don't have the, a lot of people don't have the luxury or certain people don't have the luxury of being their complete self whenever they meet someone. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I've definitely had that thought before, like you said, and then at, I don't know if it's not a bad thing that my parents have done this, but like, hey, like, you're a black man. You need to dress a certain way. You can't mm. come looking all raggedy. Like, you're iron your pants. Like, make sure your shirt looks decent. Like, don't, you know, look presentable. Yeah. Because these people are going to judge you when they see you because you are a black man. And I think that kind of ties them in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of with the premise that you only have a certain amount of uh, chances to prove yourself. Like, your first impression is pretty much your only chance. So, you got you to gotta deliver on that first impression. You only get one first impression. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And those types of things are, like, we all can respond. We all respond to certain things based off of past experiences, right? So the reason why we respond that way is because obviously either someone told us that if you don't respond in that way, something negative is going to come. So that's why I say it's kind of a traumatic response. And we don't even realize all the trauma that it's just kind of been, we've all been dealing with just, you know, from the beginning. And because we're constantly dealing with those things and we're not talking about it, that's why it kind of concerns me that we actually have a lot of mental health concerns that we haven't dealt with. Mm -hmm. So trying to normalize that discussion is important. Yeah. I do have a question um, specifically about your practice that I think is pretty interesting. Um, we all agree that in minority communities that, like, that's not really a thing that people, like, like to talk about or is accepted to talk about. Do you find it difficult to get your clients or to open up in discussion more so than, say, any other race? Yeah. So kind of 
To be honest, I've actually had a lot more people reaching out now, I think because we've been talking about it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But I do see that a lot of people are a little bit hesitant at first. Like, I'll have people call me and they say, I don't really know how this therapy thing works. Like, can you explain like yeah. what this even is? Like, are you going to tell me what I need to talk about? I'm like, no, I try to keep it as casual as possible. Yeah. I like to have it as like a conversation. I know a lot of times people, when they think of therapy, they're like, oh, it's that, that person that's just going to say, how do you feel about that? You and lay talk on about that couch. This way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there are components of it that are like that, but yeah. I like to keep it a cat, like how, kind of like how we're talking right now. Yeah. So I like to keep my sessions like that. So by the end of it, I've had people say, I don't really know how this thing is going to go. Like, I'm not really opening up about anything. And then by the end of it, I'm like, they're like, I don't really know how I feel about therapy. And I'm like, well, what did, didn't you just tell me about this and about this and about that? And they're oh, like, wait, I did. Oh, I did. Like, <laughs> they didn't even know. That, Damn, she that's got what me. therapy is. And I'm like, yeah, it's just talking about it. Yeah. In an open, safe place. Is there, is there any way you could, uh, is there any advice you would give to like, uh, say families or any like, or say parents uh, to how to encourage that environment? Because I guess I wouldn't be able to identify what what about minority communities or like minority families or households that makes that not accessible to talk about. You know, mm -hmm. is there anything that you would advocate to kind of like open, like change that narrative to where it is like an open discussion or that's able to talk about in households? Yeah, so I feel like especially now with everything going on and we're talking about um, just you know every, the climate and everything that's kind of going on, I feel like just talking about the importance of just talking like mm -hmm. mm, that's not a good one. yeah like even if it's just as a family like you can start that by just having a family dinner together and just actually talking about little things like how was your day like things things of that nature but then if you also want to go into therapy I think it's important they have so many resources out there they have like therapy for black girls therapy for black men um, if you want to find a therapist that's of color um, those are great resources, and I kind of encourage people to do research on their therapist to see how they can actually meet their needs, because if you just go to a therapist that is just, just says they basically specialize in just about anything, and you don't connect to them, it's a waste of time, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people that. I say, if we don't connect, and you're not going to connect with every therapist you have, but if you feel like we don't connect, tell me so that you can, we can find somebody that fits you better, because just like your friends... You have friends that you connect with a little bit better than others, right? Yeah. You have anybody right. like that. So just kind of starting to open up that conversation. And for parents, just to say, like, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. That's normal. Mm -hmm. But you have to talk about it so that we can kind of move on, you know? Yeah. Did you think of anything that you ever tried to talk to your parents about when they just kind of, you kind of felt like you were just kind of shut down from or... Uh, I've gotten better at talking to them about certain stuff, but, like, me personally dealing with, like, anxiety and, like, thoughts of depression and things like that. I remember as a kid, like, not feeling comfortable approaching them about certain situations like that. And now yeah. I've gotten older, I've been able to, like, express that. But I just remember, first, like, like I said earlier, my dad should have told me, like, you have nothing to be sad about. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think it just, be, it that is from the way we grew, we grew up so drastically different. Like, my parents were both very, very poor I grew up in a very nice neighborhood in the suburbs, didn't have to worry about where I was going to eat, if I was mm. going to have clothes, if I needed shoes, things like that. Like, my dad got one pair of shoes for the year, and if that made it through the year without any holes on it, he was happy. You know yeah. what I mean? If he bust a hole in it playing basketball, that was it. He just rocked around the rest of the year with no, like, with a hole in his shoes where if that happened to me, yeah. my dad would go give me another pair of shoes. So his, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but his version of depression and mine are two different things. He's like, he sees... You have everything you could want as a kid. 
He's, he's almost you, like materialistic. Yeah, he's like, you, you, you're not outside. You, you got hot water. You got food. You got both your parents here. What could you possibly be sad about? But me, I'm like, hey, like, this is bothering me. Like, this happened at school today, and this is actually, like, bothering me. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, and there's just that disconnect. I think, and I think that happens to a lot of black kids in, in today's yeah. society. And just, just the, the difference in generation. I think makes that happen sometimes. I agree with that. And then also, I don't know if anyone here experienced that is the, like, religious aspect of it, too. So I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody was, it's just like, well, you just have to pray about it or go to church Same. about it. Like, yeah. you, don't talk, you don't have to talk to anybody else. You can talk to God. Pray on it. Yeah. And I know, like, That is very true. <laughs> Especially growing up in the South. Like, oh, yeah. Because I mean, you grew up in... I'm uh, this, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah. okay. Yeah. So both my parents are pastors, actually, too. So mm-hmm. it's like oh, so, yeah. having to... We've kind of mended that thing, too, as being able to talk about, yeah, we can pray about things, but we can also talk about it with somebody else, too. And it's okay to combine the two. Just because you talk to a therapist doesn't mean that you lack spirituality or something like that. You know what I mean? But to kind of talk about your point as well with um, kind of our generations being a little bit different, I definitely understand what you're saying with that. Um, but I think it also just kind of comes from people not really understanding what depression really is or what anxiety really is. And I think, like you said, they just think of it ultimately as you should just be happy. Like, why are you sad? But depression can come from a lot of different things. Yeah. So I like to think of depression as kind of like a kind of like a gradient type thing. It's not just like, oh, you're depressed. So all of a sudden now you're just sitting in your room sulking about everything. It's like you can be upset about something that doesn't that's situational depression. Yeah. yeah. You know? So I think it's like trying to start those conversations and I know some of our parents aren't really open to that either. Yeah. So that's the next thing I would say is if you feel like you're really going through something, they have free support groups out there, try to talk to a friend. Um if you're in school, they have resources at school. Um and there's a lot of services that are out there for minority people especially too nowadays because we're trying to you know work on that normalize it that's something i never thought about you made a great point when you said depression just isn't one thing you know and it, it seems like some like a simple concept when you say it out loud but i've never yeah. thought about that it's a, it's a gradient and that that makes perfect sense it's right. not just it's a great way you're to not in your room sitting by yourself not talking well no you can like you said situational certain things it can mm-hmm. all it's all it's all a little different and that it seems simple but it's obviously not because I've never thought that that thought has never clicked in my head that yeah. it's more than just a, something defined <laughs> that you can just point out is that's yeah. depression. To be honest, I see that trend happening in a lot of things like in our society today. Everything's kind of moving from being like just a hard black and white description to more of a spectrum. And Life ain't black and white. <laughs> yeah, like everything. But then especially with mental health, like you said, with depression, like you don't just because you're not just constant suicidal thoughts just in a dark room by yourself. That's. That's a that's a deep side of depression, but that's not all depression is. Kind of seeing it more of a spectrum, like gradient, like you said. I think that's a brilliant way to describe it. More so, are there any other kind of prevalent forms of like mental health like issues that you see happening in minority communities versus other communities? Or is it more of just like a generational thing? So I feel like it is kind of a, a generational thing. Um, but also one thing that I am kind of finding, um, so I started a nonprofit last year that talks about um, like incorporating the arts in therapy, and that has been a way that I've definitely been able to reach out, especially in our community, because people don't realize that the arts can be a way of expressing yourself and the arts can be a way of therapy, right? So if you write music or poetry or um, dance or like anything like that, that can all be a way to express yourself. So having that 
forum for people to now talk about it. And I'm like, hey, like, you know, you can actually, let's do some acting exercise. Let's do this. And then we start talking about things. They're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was therapy. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So. Just a simple form of expression. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's actually a really good point to talk about. Um, especially in communities that I think, especially in minority communities, would you say that that's a big part of why a lot of people feel connected, like in minority communities, why they feel connected to the arts? Because it is a form of expression, but it's because like in most communities, you're not really allowed to express yourself in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. So I've always, or like in, in your house, so you're not really allowed to talk about like the aspects of your mental health. So like you find yourself connected to music that speaks for you or dancing or any other forms of that. If you think about it, all of our like main artists and stuff, they're very creative and expressive and they literally are telling stories about their lives. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is the way that we connect. Like we, even if you just go back in history, like that's how we connected with each other was through our music, through our um, our arts and through all of those things. That Mm -hmm. was the only way we could really connect and kind of get our feelings out there. So I feel like taking it from that point and to now, it's kind of just been one of those things that we just kind of keep doing that, but now we can break off and use that, but then also talk to somebody too. Yeah, yeah. That's a deep point. Also, one other thing I kind of want to say about that sure. is I think things are changing now too because there are more, it's more diversity in therapists because I feel like, I mean, I don't know this, I don't know the percentages on this, but I'm sure back then because of, you know, limits of, education and things like that, they probably didn't really have many diverse therapist options. So Mm -hmm. now I feel like we have so many more people. That's probably why people only went to the church or because those people actually understood you. They look like you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that makes sense. Representation is a big part of it. Yeah. Growing up, you know, they always have those counselors at your elementary school. None of them at any of my schools were ever black. You know, like the counselor you could go talk to if you had something wrong with you or anything like that. So I'm, I'm sure... As a as a youth, it'd be much easier to approach someone if you're not comfortable talking to your parents. Who looks like you, you know. So. Mm-hmm. so as far as representation, do you think? Uh, I'm curious to see like what either what you've researched or what you've experienced, like what that's opened up. Do you see that representation just having more people being involved in therapy and just is, is they're able to open up more, or what what was lacking from the lack of diversity in therapists? I would say with that. Um, like, a lot of referrals that I get, like, that the one thing that everyone says is, I've had a therapist, they were not a person of color, and it was very stressful for me. I felt either offended that they didn't understand certain things, I had to over-explain myself, and if you're already going through a tough time, and you have to keep explaining so someone understands your point of view, that can get really tiring and very frustrating, to the point that you just want to shut down. It was, it's already hard sometimes for us to even open up to people. Mm-hmm. So having to go to a therapist that doesn't even understand your culture mm-hmm. can be really difficult. Whereas now that it's kind of opening up a little bit more, I can literally have a conversation with any of my clients and some things I won't really understand because we've all lived different lives, but it's easier for them to open up because they're like, oh, you just get it. Like I can use my slang or different sayings or whatever and I don't have to over explain myself and it just feels natural. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that part. Imagine you just like being completely vulnerable and like speaking like your complete, like just unfiltered mind, using all these different words, and the therapist just doesn't know what they I don't know. We don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. So that's like the biggest thing I think with connection. It's like you feel connected with people when you can use your your words. You don't have to think before you say everything. Yeah. It's more natural. 
And it's kind of crazy. You notice that in, like, a friend group, so even more so. Like, I know, like, me and Kid, I know all of us, honestly, we have very diverse friend groups. Um, but I always get the comments from them when they say, like, whenever you're around Zach or Kid, like, you... You, you talk like a completely different language than when you're around us. I'm like, well, they just get me. Because like, they get it. I could just say, like, these are things we've been saying our whole lives, like movie references, like just other different slangs. These are things we've been saying our whole lives. It's literally like a language, like a coded language. But I'm glad that, I'm glad that you're kind of, uh, I, like the, I like the avenue that you're going because that's something I didn't, that's something I never thought about before was um, just the presence of like um, uh, having representation in your therapy as well of who you're talking to. Because obviously, like it helps. Like you see, you see those things when they say representation matters when it comes to like other positions of power, like you say the president or lawyers, doctors, or just outside of athletes and rappers. But a therapist is someone that actually serves the community as well. That's a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. I did want to kind of transition that into uh, the current climate and everything that's kind of going on now. So, have you been active with any clients? Or I know you've been doing a lot of Zoom calls, kind of just having people have open discussions and allowing themselves to kind of just speak freely in this time uh, with a lot of the riots going on, a lot of the just publicity. Um, is there anything that you really noticed or anything that kind of stood out to you in, in these talks? Um, so I've noticed, uh, just talking with a lot of people, it, it's definitely been helpful, I think, to not just talk about it in your own friend group. So the Zoom call that I just did recently, it was nice to actually have people that, didn't all know each other, but we've all lived the same experience or similar experiences. So I kind of put the call together so that we can all kind of find support in each other. So like if you have, let's say like a group of 10 friends that you already have been talking about this stuff with all the time, like being able to know that you have other people that you can actually vent to and talk to and find support in um, has been really helpful. But I've also been on some calls with um, people that are people that aren't of color. So that's been kind of interesting, but I feel like it's definitely broken down some walls that people, like, we've never really been able to openly talk about race. This is something that we've always been tiptoeing around, that people make jokes about or just completely just yeah. ignore. Or, yeah. like, someone says it, and then it's like, okay, like, you get a couple comments, like, okay, let's not go there, everyone. Very let's, uncomfortable. Let's, like, all right, let's bring mm-hmm. this back a little bit, everyone. Let's, like, you know. But that's one thing that I think about the current time that I'm super excited about. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, I hate that it had to come from tragedy, but the fact that this cycle, so obviously it's been a cycle for years. Like, this is nothing new. Since I was 15 and where I was really, really aware of, like, these things, like, a cycle happens, someone dies, like, it's an uproar, dies down, people forget about it, and then someone else gets killed. It just keeps happening. But this is the first time that I can ever remember that people from all diverse backgrounds are actually listening right now. Like, everyone is listening right now. And, that's, and is, that's such a beautiful thing to me because now I feel like, especially as people of color, this is the one time it's like, all right, the lights are on. It's time for you to, like, speak your mind. Like, say exactly what you've been saying for all these years. Or especially, and I'm big on black creatives because I'm big on, um, I'm big on like, being able to create the energy that you want to see. And especially um, just kind of letting your mind out as a creative. So, like, I'm very happy to see, like, a lot of black creatives, like, putting their art out or, like, just kind of speaking exactly how they feel in these moments because the whole world is watching and the whole world is listening. So this is the first time where you're really going to be able to get just a lot of response and just a lot of, like, digestion of, like, your ideas and your thoughts. And it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. But how would you, 
like you said, like you said, it's a little bit more beneficial to kind of talk outside of your immediate friend group or the community level. How would you advocate people to kind of just uh, to move forward with these next steps of action? Because obviously the emotions kind of flared out immediately and we're all kind of like now just digesting everything we're seeing on social media and everything. So how would you say is like one of the best ways to kind of move forward with action steps? Like in terms of like dealing with how it's impacting you on an individual level? Yeah, let's start with that. Okay. So on an individual level. So on an individual level, I've been telling people, first of all, to acknowledge your triggers. Like what's triggering for you? So if you're watching the news, like what parts of that are, are coming up for you that it's making you upset? Like where are you feeling that anxiety or anger or um, whatever your, your feeling is at the time? Um, I always try to also explain to people that anger is kind of like a cover-up emotion. So when you're experiencing anger, a lot of times there's actually an underlying emotion that you're actually feeling. So if it's anger, sometimes it can actually be frustration about not feeling like heard and sadness about that. Like there's always an underlying emotion. So once you're able to identify that underlying emotion, you can really do some work with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So starting to like understand what's triggering you. How is it triggering you? Is it something that's going on for a long time that you're, like, you're holding on to. Um, those are things that you can really dive into in therapy. So if you go one-on-one, it's like, hey, I noticed that this one um, incident really, really triggered me. Um, so for instance, with Ahmad Arbery, right? Mm-hmm. That situation, I think, can trigger a lot of people because it's like, all of us have gone running outside, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's kind of like, you see things that happen on your TV, and it's like, okay, well... I might not have, like, I don't do certain things like this, so I probably would not really be in that situation, but something as simple as that going for a job. That situation we could all be in. Yeah. yeah. So, like, now all of a sudden, how are you feeling about that? Has that been changing your lifestyle? Like, what, what's been going on with that? So once you're able to identify your triggers, the next thing is just kind of, like, being able to take a step back. So especially since we're in quarantine and with corona and everything going on right now, the media is just blasting all the time. That's the only thing we're seeing. Even on social media, that's the only thing we're seeing. Yeah. Take a step back. If you need to delete your apps for the day, do that. Mm-hmm. Because your mental health is really important, and you don't realize how seeing those images consistently is really, you know, putting yeah. In yeah. some work on your yeah. mind there. I feel you, like you never understand how much that takes a toll on you. Mm-hmm. And then you get, has there ever been a point where... Because I, honestly, I think I feel victim, not victim to that, but I've caught myself kind of getting desensitized to seeing all these things. Like, it came to a oh, point where yeah. I'm just like, oh, it's another one. Like, what can we do? You know what I mean? Um, is there any way to, like, at least from, a, from, from your perspective, from like a, the actual professional perspective, to kind of balance not getting desensitized but still consuming the information? Yeah, so I think everything in moderation, right? So, like, if you are finding yourself literally on social media all day long, That's like, me. I think... That's, I mean, that's, nowadays... That's you to a T, <laughs> I mean, nowadays, the phones even have that. Like, they they, sh- they track it. No bullshit. Side note. That's me. Anytime I call a kid, it don't matter what hour, what time of day it is, he will answer within two rings. Every single time. At least you know if I don't pick up. So hey. if I'm ever dying, I'm calling you <laughs> first. I'm just saying that. If I'm ever in a bad situation, at least I know he'll answer. But no, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No, you're fine. You're fine. But, <laughs> but that's the thing, though. It's like, if you're over-consuming something with anything, it's just going to become like just another day, right? Yeah. And honestly, that's something that I found um, when I was in one of my Zoom calls and there were um, like white people on the line and I was talking to them and I said, what's different this time? 
because mm. this has been going on for years and I just really want to know, like I'm not saying this in a way to attack anybody, but I just genuinely want to know what is different this time. And their response was, well, you know, social media is bigger now. And I said, social media hasn't changed that it's much been in around. the last three years, yeah. Yeah, especially the last three or four years, you know? Yeah. So, but there's been consistent things kind of going on all the time that like, for us, it's kind of like, yeah, it's another situation, but for them, they're just so like upset about it, which I'm glad, but I really wanted to know what's different this time. And I think that's a great question. What is different this time? And that's what I've been trying to like internalize personally, just thinking about this whole situation, everything that's going on, the change that we're seeing, like obviously people are up in arms, which is, which is awesome. Like I, I feel like we're in a position to really affect some, some serious change in our, just in the way we live the rest of our life. But it's just, I don't want to use, I guess it almost is funny to me because it's like, this happens almost every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone, Multiple times. Yeah. Someone, since he gets killed by the police, I say it's like people a, are mad I, for a little I bit. It's like a quarterly cycle. And then nothing. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. And then like, it just kind of, eh, we forget until someone gets killed again. And then people make their t-shirts, they make their hashtags. And then, mm-hmm. but for, for whatever reason, I don't know if you guys agree, it feels very different this time. It does. It does. I think, a big part of that, and I, I wonder, I, I, I can't say it's fully fleshed out because it's something I kind of just thought about, but I think uh, COVID-19, the entire pandemic, had a big effect on people really focusing on it. So one person did say that. They I said, agree. well, this time around, there's so much distraction. So after they talked about social media and all that other stuff, someone mm-hmm. did come up and say, honestly, I think it's because COVID-19 there's no distractions. Nobody's at work. We can't change the channel. When mm-hmm. we change the channel, that's all we talk about. We can't really go to work. We can't really say we had class. That's the only thing we can focus on. So it's forcing us to pay attention for once. And then on top of that, I think uh, it's kind of simplifying. I think it kind of simplified your friend group. I mean, Corona did that already. Uh, like the amount of people that you conversed with definitely like kind of died down. Because you, you started to realize, okay, I just see these people when I go out. Or yep. mm-hmm. I just see these people on occasion. So now it's your immediate friend group. So whenever these things happen, of course you're going to talk to it about them. Because, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it, you, can't, you can't avoid it. I wanted to ask one question about um, kind of back on the desensitization. Um, I don't even know if that's a real word, if I said that right. Hey but man, you just made it up. I'm, a, I'm putting it out there. Put that in the dictionary. A You're good. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a word. It. It's a word, bro. You're I probably right. ain't say it right. It's a, it's a word. No, You're I say good. a lot of stuff wrong. You do. But... I want to go back on that point and kind of uh, to the point of a lot of my friends, uh, the diverse, diverse friend group friends, they uh, feel connected to a lot of things that happened before. But for some reason, they felt a little more connected to these incidents, which I didn't understand, but I tried to kind of see where they came from. And I wanted to ask you if you had like an idea of how to connect people who aren't like really feeling like what we're feeling or understanding like what we're going through. How do you connect them from what they see on TV? So you see these incidents happen on TV and it seems like it's just so distant. Like, oh, like someone died. That, that won't happen to my friend. Oh, that won't happen to Austin or kid. Or, you know what I mean? How, how do you kind of help them understand that that really is the reality for all of us? Is that something that just has to happen in conversation? It's something or? we all think yeah. about every day when we, like, step out the house. Mm-hmm. Bro, like, that's still, like, chills. Like, every time, like, even if a policeman just kind of pulls behind me, like, I'm always like... Just kind of look around. You get nervous, man. You know, the first thing I do every time a cop gets behind me, I have to make sure I double check that my insurance is like in the in the visor above me. 
Because sometimes it'll be in my glove department, and I don't want to get to the point where I get pulled over and I have to reach in my glove and risk like them thinking I'm reaching for something. Mm -hmm. But I get back on that point. How do you? How? What's the best way for I guess people like uh, like a mere kid or whoever else is talking to their friends to kind of connect that from connect these incidents more intimately versus how just seeing it on TV. Tell your story. Like I think that's the the biggest thing. If these people are close to you, it's like telling your story. I think we've already I've. I've seen that just through our discussions um, in general. It's like being able to make it more like humanized. Mm. And like you said, it's like, okay, they see it on TV, but like that won't happen to my friend. Like it sounds like a movie. Yeah. And they kind of see you as like, okay, they don't really see you as that black friend. Being completely Mm. honest, they see you as like you're different sometimes than them. Oh my god, that's a whole discussion I can dive into. Yeah. That's (laughs) a whole discussion. Quick, like just briefly, yeah. it's like they don't really connect you with those with those types of people, but they don't realize that you don't have a name tag that you wear all day long that says like you're who you are. You're their friend, like they don't I'm their friend. I work for this company. I like yeah. you know. So like yeah, to to them you're that person, but to the rest of the world you're just another black person. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, uh, Julian, uh, brought up a great point, and he he asked to kind of go into what you said, telling your story. And a lot of people don't realize, a lot of our, like, friends who aren't minorities don't realize we all have a cop story. Oh, every single one of us. For the most part, I, like, especially a man over 21, you have, you've had a, at least one negative experience running with, with, the po- with police or security or any kind of person of power and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that shocks a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least something. What's your, like, the one that's most vivid for you? The one that's most vivid for me that was just most inherently just... Because I have, I, I can be honest, I've, I've had relatively good experiences with police. Like, my very first encounter with cops was like a routine speed, speeding stop, and it was very routine, license and registration. He actually let me off with a warning. I was 16. When I got to college, I had an experience where we were actually in the gym playing basketball, and the police showed up to the school gym. It was like police and like camp security or whatever, and like, you guys don't go here. You have to leave the gym. We're like, no, we we're on the team, like... Coach let us in. He's like, nah, y'all got to leave right now. You guys don't go here. And for the, like, they did not believe that we went. And they were, like, starting to threaten us. Like, if you don't leave, we're going to, like, arrest you guys. Like, you guys can leave out of the gym. And we, there's literally a giant poster in the gym with all of our faces on it. And we point and go, hey, that is us. Like, and, for, and it was just so, I could just sit, like, I had this weird feeling of just, be, like, these guys, no matter what they do, like, they their intentions aren't good. Like let's just leave, or like I think we ended up calling coach or whatever. But it was that was the most negative on my part because I could tell that they they wanted to escalate it more than what it actually was. It was just some guys working out, yeah. playing five on five or whatever. Yeah. But they were ready to like arrest us. We didn't go to the school. We were trespassing. And the guys, who, people who are listening, University of Tampa is a majority Caucasian school in a very affluent part of Tampa, like a lot of money and stuff like that, things like that. So they thought it was just some some black kids who had broken into this gym, but it just wasn't the case. We were on the team, we were playing basketball, but it was that was my pers- my personal worst experience just because I, I could just feel the negative like energy you, that you these know cop- people's, like you these, could tell these, people's these officers were, were escalating a situation that wasn't that didn't need to be escalated at all. Yeah. You're just trying to get better. You're trying to get some shots up. And it like, was just, it was just escalated to this point of just like like there was like a shouting match between one of the like one of the captains at the time and the police officer and like you could just tell he was just he he was trying to incite it almost to like either arrest him or you know who knows what what could have came out of that. Luckily nothing did, but 
it that was it was it was like sickening almost. I called my dad after, and I was just like, hey, like this just happened, and he, and then we had an, we had these conversations quite often. But he's like, hey, man, you're you're a young black man in America. You got to be careful what you do. You go to the school, like we're glad you're there, but you got to realize, like I know you've had it, you've had a very great upbringing in life and haven't had any super negative experiences, but this is the truth. This is what this is what happens to black and brown people when we experience police officers and things like that. So yeah, and I kind of want to like dive in uh, to what that kind of diving into what that does to you as a person because I feel like. You can say these incidents happen. It's like, okay, that's just one time. Like, just it happens. Like, get over it or whatever. But it's something about when you get into a situation and you realize, you fully understand there's absolutely nothing you could have done different to nothing. avoid it. And that's that, like, I think that's the hardest thing to die. That's like such a, like a bullet, like in the bottom of your chest that you just can't get out. That's what builds this us versus them mentality a lot of black people have with police. You know, we, we think it's, it, it, they're supposed to be there to protect and serve, right? Which obviously... We see that doesn't happen, but that also builds this us versus them mentality, which I think also causes so much harm for us. Like, in the, you know, big time. We, we don't trust them. They don't trust us. You know, so what do you think is going to happen when they get called to the scene? Like the prime example where, where the, the man was uh, bird watching and the lady called the cops. She said, I'm going to call them and tell them that a black man is being aggressive towards me. Like she knew exactly what that meant. She knew the relationship yeah. that black people have with police officers when she said that. You know, it, it was used in a way to weaponize her whiteness against, you know, and it's sad that, that, that that's happened, but it's something we have to deal with. Like, we've had to deal with for forever, you know? Yeah, and I think it's, like, it's interesting to, how, um, to see how people do respond to it, especially black men, because you have to, you have one or two ways that you can respond to that. You can either be like me, I caught myself and I've done this my whole life. First off, I don't have a malicious bone in my body, but... You're soft as butter, son. I'm soft, I'm soft in the box of kittens, bro, like for real. But like you have one or two ways to respond to it. you can like be overly nice, overly kind to the point where they just don't expect that at all. Or you have to be overly aggressive to protect yourself. Yeah. Because you can't expect that from police. And that creates two very different personas where I think kind of makes a big divide amongst black men themselves. To where we, I think, in turn, start dividing amongst each other. And I think that dives into a whole other realm that people don't understand as well. I think that kind of goes back to the point about not really ever fully being able to be yourself. Yeah. It's like this societal divide of who I need to be in public versus who I actually am at home. And honestly, I feel like that can kind of go into a whole other identity crisis type situation where... Even just thinking of us as a people, I know a lot of us always talk about, we don't really know where we came from. We don't have that history. Um, something I just thought about, um, my brother, when um, he was in elementary school, his school took a trip to Ellis Island. And they did a project where they had to all say, like, oh, this is going to be fun. Everyone go find something from your ancestors. Like... Here. And obviously, like, that's something that most people would be like, oh, this is so exciting. We went to Ellis Island, and I, 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 my family's from Russia, and we found this. Or my family's from this, and we found this. Yeah. But, like, we didn't come over from Ellis Island. Yeah. yeah. So, think my mom was there uh, with my brother as one of the chaperones, and the teacher felt so bad because she realized how ignorant she was to the situation, mm -hmm. that there was, you know, nothing there for my brother. So, it ends up turning into a whole... Um, He's just walking around, just doing research on stuff. And my mom says that she all of a sudden heard, Marcus, Marcus, like screaming from like 
across the room. And they're like, I found something. So they run all the way down there. And they're like, look. And he's like, what? I don't see anything. They're like, we see jewelry. We see this. But like, none of this is from like Africa or anything. Mm. A coconut. A coconut. A coconut. So. A damn coconut. A coconut. And just from that situation, like we had to have a whole conversation about that. Just about like, first of all, like, yeah, our history, we didn't you know, come really from through Ellis Island, like how most black people got here and like having those things. But it's kind of like it goes back to our roots and our identity. Like all those other kids were able to like have this grand history lesson on their identity of how they got to America. Yeah. And then ours isn't as grand. Yeah. And then and, and, and then I feel like whenever you have that that history lesson, you kind of find a certain sense of a certain purpose or like community or you know, because you find out, okay, this is like my roots, this is where I'm from, this is why I'm this way or whatever. But, and then a lot of people, even we can't even trace that. One, it's one thing to find out like your lineage and find out, okay, it stops with slavery. Like that's the first, that's further back I can really go. Um, but it's another thing to just have that be just an abyss, just this complete ambiguity. Like I remember being in England and it happened a couple of times actually. Uh, People would ask me, I would say, oh, uh, say uh, Austin Reddick. They're like, oh, Reddick. Like, that's like, German. are you German? I'm like, no, I'm not German. Uh, they're like, what's the German last name? I was like, it's, I just be like, it's an American thing. Like, uh, Do you know where your last name came from? It's German. So apparently. Like, do you know if it's like a slave owner last name or not? It's a slave owner last okay. name. Yeah. So like that part, and then that kind of. That kind of hit me because even when I went to the UK, I lived in the UK for a year, but if you didn't know, but. Um, I went to the UK and I had a lot of friends who were from like Nigeria, Ghana, and they were so prideful and from where they're from and like their their own country and their roots. And I was so jealous of that because I always wished I could like at least understand, at least know where what country I rooted from, you know. So I remember uh, I ended up getting like a 23andMe and finding out that I was like primarily Nigerian, and I was just like, that's that alone is like pretty cool to know, but you know, it's still kind of interesting to see how like a lot of people just would never have that lineage. So you're kind of forced to create your own personas based from your own understanding. You don't really have like a, a path to kind of base it on, you know? Really, and I think that definitely has a impact on all of us in some way because I think we all really want to know who we are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just growing up, that's what, you know, finding yourself. How many times, like as teenagers, and even just, even in our 20s, it's like, oh, those are the years you find yourself. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, I'm trying to find myself, but I don't even know where I even come from. Yeah. So that's a whole nother level. Of things to kind of, it is. We've all done those like family tree projects, and you know it's 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 interesting to see like where like how far you can get back to, but it all it all kind of comes to a stopping point where like, and this is where it was like slavery, Mm -hmm. and we really don't know much after this, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've hit that wall where like doing my own family research, but it's just like you said, like having somewhere to be proud of to know, like like you said, like just even knowing you're like majority from like Nigeria, like it's something to hold on to. Yeah. Which I think is important to be able to have that. Exactly. And then you kind of look at, you start kind of consuming. I think that's one thing that's actually beneficial for people to do right now if you haven't really been experienced to like uh, African-American like culture or experience. Just consume like the content of it. Because even when I do that, I could consume like Nigerian music or uh, to go back and watch Nigerian movies. And it's just, it's just I don't know, you feel, once you know it's that that's where you're from, it's like, it's like a sense of pride in it. You kind of appreciate it a little bit different. You know, you start kind of, it's, it's nice, mm-hmm. you know. But is there anything that I'm sure I know you grew up in a city in in Pennsylvania. 
uh, no, outside the city in Pennsylvania, right? Um, so was there much of a brutality issue uh, from where you? So my county is racist. Yeah. Just in terms of, like, we have these conversations. Like, I personally haven't had any real issues, but I'm also a, a black female. Not saying black females don't have as many issues, but I just personally haven't. But my brothers, they have. Like, my mom is always saying, like, oh, yeah, you don't want to get in trouble in our county because the first thing they do is they're just going to try to slap the book on you. Right. For anything. But in any other county, it can be something, like, they'll just say, oh, that's just kids being kids or whatever. But in our county, they're very, like, they just put out a letter, um, and people are up in arms right now saying that um, the commissioner from my county needs to resign because he was talking about... Black Lives Matter movement being basically like a left-wing hate group and terrorism. Trying to to relate it to Antifa, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So he was doing that and, like, just writing all these just... His his press release was just so awful. And um, it it was just... It's just really bad. But then it kind of goes back to, like, okay, well, it makes sense because in the county that we're in, that's what they do. Like, they will try to... Any person that's black, if you do something, they're looking to throw the book at you for anything. Yeah. So, like, my my brothers have had issues. I think, like, one time I think my brother got uh, guns pulled on him one time. It, and it's just, it's just a lot of stuff. Like, my dad got pulled over, I remember, one time because he changed lanes randomly. And it's like, why did you change lanes? Because like, I live on this side of the street. Like, I'm a driver. <laughs> I have no idea, right? And like, there was nobody. Are you sure you're not intoxicated then or something? My dad like, doesn't drink or anything like that. He's like, no, I was in the right lane. Yeah. I switched over to the left lane. But there was nobody in front of you. I switched over to the left lane because like, I knew. Why are we I, having this discussion? Yeah, because <laughs> like, I knew eventually I was going to have to make a left turn. Yeah. I think that's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. But crazy. they had nothing to do, so they just pull people over for no reason. Yeah. Jesus. Black man driving. <laughs> like, you shouldn't even that's have to argue that. No, like, I why? did. Uh, that kind of wanted me to kind of dive into the idea of something I think is a good topic to kind of touch on for people to kind of understand, uh, especially the judicial system, um, the double standard when it comes to race. So one of my white friends can do something that's illegal, and I do the exact same thing, and how that's tried in the system, and especially how it's viewed by media. And I think those things are something that people really don't get a grasp of when it comes to how the judicial system handles black men and women. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I know there's been cases of, uh, what was that one case? I think it was like a Stanford swimmer. He like oh, the rape case? Raped and murdered like a girl, yep. and they're saying, like, he's, no, he's a good kid. He just... Yeah, like, you know, but I know for a fact if there's ever if there's, I know there's scenarios I probably can't think of the top of my head, but there's another scenarios where that's happened to a black kid, or say if that happens, or you could say multiple times whenever a black well, athlete just, or whatever is dating a white woman. Well, statistically, and, for for crimes like like the kind of certain crimes we have, we statistically get worse sentences for the same crime, mm-hmm. and it happens mm-hmm. all the time. It's just the the deck is stacked against us in that in that regard. Like the, you just like the system. You see it all the time that the system wasn't built for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So just knowing, like, for instance, in my county, for instance, like, they have different programs that people can be a part of. So, like, obviously, if you don't do something that's, like, really bad, they'll be like, oh, you know, like, maybe you'll just go for a few months or you'll do community service or whatever. But in order to get into those programs, like, 
you have to make sure you don't have any um, like felony things or like hard, I don't know, things that you were arrested for. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those people in those programs are white. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because like my parents have sat in on some of those things and they'll hear some of the crimes that the white people have committed that get put into these programs that aren't as bad as like maybe weed possession or something from some of the black people that are incarcerated that they go see. One guy I remember one time had like armed robbery, like rob somebody's car, like carjack someone with a gun. And he got into the program, but somebody that was black that had like marijuana possession or something like that had to serve their 30 days. And yeah. like you didn't even do anything. <laughs> like, yeah. That person didn't even it was a nonviolent crime. Yeah. But they have to go to jail. But this person who carjacked someone with a gun mm-hmm. gets to just walk around and just do whatever. Right. Yeah. Like doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think a big component of it as well that people kind of didn't understand is like the street the three strike rule. So you can imagine how just encounters with the police are more prevalent. So you can get caught up with just little petty say if it petty is crimes. little petty crimes. Mm-hmm. But you might develop one or two strikes from it. So whenever you do have, say, like your third petty crime or if you have one major incident with the police or something, then you, you, your chances are already maxed out just because you're constantly having to deal with police mm-hmm. or you're constantly having to worry about always doing the right thing. And then we all know we've been around friends. I mean, honestly, I've seen way more situations with drugs or any kind of like little things with my white friends than I have black friends. But I never hear them ever have any encounters or even question or wondering about police being around. So I think that's a big point that the highlight is that just the encounters alone, like no matter what you're doing, whether it's being was a speeding ticket, whether it's a drug related or it's actual crime, this the, the, the encounters with the police are always more prevalent because you're just always constantly being watched. Yeah, well, there's a lot of this this goes back to to laws and a lot of legislation, which is why we need to vote. I can't stress this enough. Oh, please, we trust have to me. Vote we don't get to that point locally. Like your mayors, your commissioners, your your district attorneys, all that stuff. You need to vote on that kind of stuff. But a lot of laws and legislations are put in place so that Black people in these African American communities, minority communities, have more encounters with the police because that's what the law is for. Like. Schedule one, like when this whole schedule one thing happened with drugs, where crack and cocaine are the exact same thing, but crack was viewed as a what, much ten times yeah. the sentence. Of- like there's, there's plenty, there's thousands of laws and these old, outdated, antiquated laws that basically stack, like are things that are just stacked against us, which is why we do have more encounters, even though we're a much smaller percentage of the population. Right. It's just, it's just the way the system is built is to uh, almost mm-hmm. like hold us down in that in that regard. And then my understanding of that, too, um, one thing I did understand when I did more research on them, I watched more documentaries, is that once uh, slavery was abolished, that the only way that you could get, quote unquote, slave labor is if someone was uh, incarcerated. So you have you have a whole system that you have to find. You have to find cheap labor. That's what America's built on, like under undervalued labor. Right. So now you have the system where everyone's free. You can't get free labor. So the only way you can get that is if you have to put people back into the system, which is that. And then I think that's two things. It comes to two points. One, you can get like, what, 11 cents an hour for work that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else in America now because everyone's free, quote unquote. But then two, once someone is a convicted felon, they lose their right to vote. So if you target a certain demographic, then 
that therefore they can't once once more people have felonies or more people are in the system from that regard now that voice is a lot quieter because they can't go vote the people who are actually in the polls are people who don't have those things and people who have less encounters with police and that's something i don't think people really take an account of whenever they think of like how that really affects how the system is pent against a certain demographic 100 percent. isn't that the the 13th Yes. On Netflix. Everyone mm-hmm. should go watch that if you haven't. I heard that's really good. That's great. That's and my we, list of I just watched watch. Just Mercy yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. I also heard of that. It's a great point again. Mm-hmm. And it's free the, all June. Sorry. You're good. Speaking <laughs> of the film seat to vote, isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe there is something coming up on this election regarding felons and their ability to vote. Am I correct in saying that? I'm not Anybody? sure. That's no, actually no. something okay. I would want to I dive there into. Is. They should be able to vote. It's my thought, but I think it's fair, especially if it's a nonviolent crime. But now, here, we can take a quick break, real quick, for a word from our sponsors Light Hops. No, Shout out to Light Hops. <laughs> Stop what you're doing right now. Go to lighthops.com. That's L I T E H O P S.com. My McCheese got the gear, everything you need, man. The flyest street brand out in the world right now. Shout out to Light Hops Wilderness Refuge. So I don't want to take a second. Um, we did take it upon ourselves to uh, receive questions, um, open the floor for questions for people on Instagram, uh, submit questions in, the things that they wanted to hear us talk about whenever we said we were having this episode. Um, so I want to take this time to kind of dive into a couple of those. Um, do you guys have anything that you – I know, kid, the one about the cop stories. We, we Yeah, that was the only one I got. Shout mm-hmm. out, Julian. Thanks for that input, bros. And something we definitely talk about. Mm-hmm. I had one um, from one of my good friends. Um, she's also uh, she's uh, studying clinical psychology, and she's like one of my best friends. She's awesome. But she submitted the question saying, um, "I'll quote it." So she said, "People reading as racists um, were unhappy with Kaepernick when he peacefully kneeled to protest the brutality against black folks. It was a big fucking deal." People are peacefully protesting in the streets and are being attacked by police officers. So rioting, looting has begun. If you will not accept or allow a peaceful protest, how would you like a protest and change to happen? Let let you go first. Oh, okay. So I actually did ask some people about this because obviously I was all for the Kaepernick protest and everything. I didn't see any problem with it. But I did know some people that were against it. So I I was like, you know, let me see their, their point of view about it. Um, So a lot of people were saying they weren't opposed to what he was protesting about, but they felt like basically kind of what LeBron even posted today about the kind of shut up and dribble, just we just want to watch a game. We don't want to be distracted with politics and and things of that nature, which I thought was kind of interesting. (laughs) But um, I mean, I I thought that he was peacefully kneeling, and I know we had talked about this before, how kneeling can be a sign of respect. Right. So I thought that that was not really, it didn't really make sense to me. But then also it's like protests are supposed to be uncomfortable. You don't protest to yeah. like. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. It's not to be, to, not make, to make a change. Lollipops and fucking yeah. Protest for a reason, right? No one's going to, you know, think about a protest. Like it's not a protest if you're just being yeah. super kind yeah. and not and know, my, making one, people uncomfortable. And one of my biggest points about, uh, especially the Kaepernick situation, um, he does, originally he sat down during the national anthem. Said, "I'm not going to stand for this because obviously it's rooted in not what I believe in." But he sat down originally and then consulted a military personnel about how he should handle the situation. That military personnel told him to kneel instead because it's more respectful. That's why I'm very confused at why people were upset with it 
or if they got offended by it, it says disrespectful to military. When the military personnel told you that's what's more respectful, you know? Mm-hmm. And then at that, think about everything you do in a kneeling perspective. When you, you kneel when you pray. You kneel before the queen. You kneel at funerals. Like, so that's almost a more sign of respect than standing. It's not a disrespectful gesture. Yeah. And that's and, and then to me it just kind of highlighted that if anybody who does see that or try to use that as an excuse, that you're avoiding the whole situation. He's doing this for a reason. He voiced what the reason was. And we're still saying that the kneeling is disrespectful. I think that's where I'm glad that was asked because I was thinking about this actually while driving over here, listening to a podcast, and someone was speaking about that point exactly, and they made a great point. Uh, It makes people uncomfortable. Uh, People don't like to talk about racism. People don't like to talk about things that are wrong with America because for the majority of Americans, which are white people, America's not too bad. You know, they don't have they don't have to deal with a lot of the systemic oppression, racism, that like the system's for them. So them saying. I don't like the kneeling and deflecting and re- making the point about the, how it's disrespectful to the military and people in service things of that nature when that's not even the whole point of the kneel. Uh, the Star Spang- the, the, the point that was made in what I was listening to was the Star Spangled Banner for people is this uh, song that represents Americanism in its whole and people get this bubbly, warm feeling about it and are like happy when they hear it. But for most black people, it doesn't mean like your version of what you think when you think America and what we think when we think America is two different things. I don't get this happy, bubbly, warm feeling right here to start saying a banner. It's a, it's a song that represents oppression for some. It's a song that represents what I have to go through every day as a black male or female or as a minority in this country. And for someone to say that the way that I feel about it, even though I, I'm, I'm choosing this peaceful way to protest, you can't. Tell me how I'm supposed to feel about something. You know, if mm-hmm. something's bothering me, it, you, for you to say to invalidate someone else's feelings, saying it doesn't it doesn't bother them is can't you can't invalidate someone's feelings like that. Right. Which is why I think the like it was a peaceful. It's how he chose to protest, and there was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't disrespectful, and like he wasn't stepping on the flag. Yeah, he wasn't spitting on the flag. There's a lot of worse he things he could have done. The flag. Mm-hmm. There's ten thousand other things he could have done to to be disrespectful. And he just chose to, to, to kneel in solitude and sat there quietly. Mm-hmm. So what someone else kind of told me, they said that it, they referred to it kind of as like if you go to a movie and the person, um, I guess, that works at the theater is like standing up in front of the screen before the movie starts and is just like telling you about all these things. And it's just kind of frustrating because you just came to see a movie. Mm-hmm. You didn't pay to see someone okay. talk about mm-hmm. those issues or whatever, or whatever the the problem is that they're talking about. But I think it also kind of goes back to your point about it's uncomfortable. Like, nobody wants to deal with that. But then I wish I had asked a question to people about, like, if it was in regards to veterans. Like, if he was kneeling to show, like, hey, we need to talk about how veterans are mistreated in America. Yeah. Or, like, veteran mental health issues or veteran, like, whatever. If if they had... If the issue was something else. Yeah. Would that have made it different but Mm -hmm. is it because again whenever we bring up black issues it's just kind of like why do you guys always complain about something you're always ruining something yeah you know and to the point about the whole like movie thing it's funny how people like pick and choose when they want their athletes to be like socially involved or not yeah like it like it's either you want your athletes like 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 what LeBron's you want them to shut up and dribble or you want them to have an opinion you want them to be a role model for your kids or you don't you want them to stand up for certain things and like do these things but then then when it's something that makes you uncomfortable it's like oh 
I didn't pay to come to this game to watch you kneel and be like, so yeah. which one is it? Like, yeah. And that's actually a big point, though, because they try to shield a lot of things that athletes do. So say for LeBron, example, uh, they try to dress up the way the NBA or NBA in general, they try to dress up the way the NBA can dress or clean up the way the NBA can dress because they know the kids are watching and they don't want them like getting like these whatever from there. Yeah. But OK, so they're trying to insinuate that you're a role model to these kids or that these kids are watching. You have to be a little bit professional or whatever. Mm-hmm. But whenever you try to do something to influence them in another way, let them know like this is. This is wrong Something or whatever. Is then wrong. it's like, no, it's you need to just play basketball. Shout out my dog, Charles Barkley, once famously said, I'm not a role model. <laughs> Charles is my dog. That's, that's the, as it goes. This is real as it gets. somebody out of a bar, but. Hey. No, Charles still a real one. He's still a real one. That was a good question. No, that, that was a really good question. question. Thank you, Janie Strecker. You're awesome. All right, so here's another question I got. Um, shout out to Invasions, if y'all haven't eaten there yet. Hey, I haven't been there yet. We need to go. You haven't? We'll probably go there after this, to be honest, you know? It sounds delicious. You got to support black-owned restaurants, right? Agreed. But this is from his partner, Gan Raka, my guy. Um, what's the first step to attack black oppression? Ooh, that's a good one. Ladies first. Okay. Um, so I kind of feel like it kind of goes back to what we were saying, just having this conversation. Like, I honestly think that like we've been talking about now, like I feel like this time feels a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like having these conversations, even though they're uncomfortable, um, especially since like our white friends are more open to the conversation now, I hope that this isn't just a fad right now or a trend that's going on. But I think having these conversations and making it more humanized, kind of like we were saying, like they understand our stories now. They're, they're hearing that it's not just that black person that it happened to like in another city on the news. It's happening to all of us. So I'm hoping that the more we have these conversations, um, like I've even been seeing videos of um, people calling their parents out for being disrespectful. Those have been insane. I've seen that. Those videos have been insane. So I'm hoping that that means that things are going to kind of take a little bit of a change. I mean, obviously this isn't going to happen overnight. This is ingrained in our society. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the more we talk about it and it's not just us talking about it i think that was the thing with yeah. us just mm-hmm. talking about it, it it always ended up going back to oh you're complaining about slavery like i wasn't one of the people who enslaved your people like da 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 but like mm-hmm. now they're starting to see like no like it is about slavery but like it's also just about how this country was built yeah, and it's rooted system- in slavery yeah. exactly so it's like the systematic oppression so like the fact that people are now starting to understand that and kind of get a better like overview of kind of what it is to be black in America. And even though you can get the best education, you can be like a top CEO at a company, you can be whatever and still be treated the same. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the conversation start starts what's to help. The, what's the Jay-Z bar? Which one? He has a bar, like basically just spot on to what you said. Like it just, you're still another, you're still another nigga basically. Yeah. No matter what you do. But that and and I, just to piggyback to answer your that question, piggyback off what you said, I think the conversation we're having now is so incredibly important. You know, we we have everybody's attention. You know, the, right. the protests. We need to keep doing that kind of stuff. We we, we need to keep having these conversations. Uh, we need to like th- that's how we raise the awareness. And then I think the next thing is we we gotta we gotta make action. We we gotta mm-hmm. take action. We gotta okay, protesting's cool. But primary, like, who knew Super Tuesday was this past weekend? Did, did, are you voting in your primaries? Are you voting in your local elections? Are you registered to vote? Uh, someone, had a, someone had a great idea. I don't know where I heard this, and I think it's a, it's a phenomenal idea. I don't know why there aren't people registering people to vote out at these protests. 
Every, that be the every first single thing. person out That's there of age should be out there. Should, the, the, whatever primary election, whatever county you live in, whatever city you live in, it's you brilliant. need to go vote. Brilliant. That's how you. That's how you get these corrupt attorneys and and DAs out. Because that's why nothing happens. These police officers, the the police force is right in, tied in line with these the same people who run unopposed almost. And then of course, okay, they see this judge or this whoever they're going to be, you know, reviewed by. Which also is a crazy thing that the police officers who are committing these crimes are being judged by people who they work with directly in the same judicial. I think it should be a third party, but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be voting people out. They're running unopposed almost. Like it's the same old old judge who's eighty years old who's racist. Like yeah. you know, get those get these people out of here. Vote these people out of here. Like right. you know, we we have the vote, and whether or not you believe, I know a lot of people say, "Oh, my vote doesn't count," and the electoral college, which is a very old system that also i think isn't the best system in the entire world especially now but you still like that is the one thing we really i mean i think it's almost just as powerful as going out and marching you we have to vote i think think that's the biggest way to affect change so there's this one quote that i read that i got um that was um that hit me to to a t especially with this entire situation when it said what we risk in our wrath is the abandonment of strategy. So all of this is necessary. I think one thing that, like, like all of the riots, the, the, the protests, the, the social media, all the content that you're getting, all mm-hmm. the anger, all the emotion that you're seeing is important because you're seeing how important it is to people. But all of that without action and strategy means absolutely nothing. Agreed. Absolutely nothing. It's a tantrum at that point. So I'm saying with all of this, you have to, we, the biggest thing that we have to make sure to do, especially to the first step in all of this, is one, be vocal, share your stories like we're doing now, have these conversations, and be willing and just kind of open your mind and just kind of digest these thoughts. And like you said, think inward and see what your triggers are or try to see what your understanding is and pin that against what you're seeing. That's the first step. It's all about awareness for the first part. And then also, I think a big point as far as the first step going against uh, to oppress it is just... Being vocal and create. Like, you have, in black minds, a lot of these things that we watch, that we view, that we consume, were all created by people who don't look like us. It's up to us to, like, create in diverse ways. And I don't mean just art. I mean architecture. I mean uh, uh, systems, uh, curriculums, everything like that. Yeah. To be sure that you continue to create because that's what's going to manifest and pay off in perpetuity, in my opinion. That's a good SAT word, by the way. Bro, I love that word. But uh, part two of that is... Um, is the action part of it. So the awareness part is obviously first. So I think people like us who have diverse friend groups, obviously being a vessel, I think it's not, it's not our fight to really have to play that role, but I think it is very beneficial if you find, if you have the energy enough to be that vessel to like your white friends or your other friends that aren't of color and just let them know like, yo, you got questions or if you just want to talk about something, or you just want to, you're curious about something, like you can ask me, like I won't be offended, like, I'm That's just trying to, help. I'm trying to help. I'm you, trying to you help. You gotta have that conversation with someone yeah. who's white because they they don't know the black experience. They never will. Exactly. You gotta talk to them. And there's to. so many. And there's so many of my white friends who just don't. They don't know what's offensive because they never had friends to tell them. Hey, probably shouldn't say that. Or that's that's that's. You probably should rethink that. Or you know. So being that friend that's willing to have that conversation with them and be open about that, I think that's very beneficial and that's a very big step into kind of shifting the mindset. But the action part. Like, all of this stuff, all these protests and everything don't mean absolutely shit if no one votes. Knowing to register to vote, or and especially at the local level, because that's whenever you're going to get judicial change. 
whenever you have the district attorneys or those people in those positions, that's whatever. Not just the presidential election, but the people at the local level, your community, your state, that's whenever you really get, you're going to really start seeing a shift in uh, the oppression of black people. But that's my biggest thing. And then even a more immediate way is if you see something that just has happened, participating in, uh, participating in the petitioning or things like that. So we see with... Uh, with um, anybody else's who's, uh, like what happened with George Floyd, they weren't going to, and Ahmaud Arbery, they weren't going to charge those, uh, those people who, were, um, who, who committed those crimes. But because of petitions, because we all spoke out, now the, now the government is forced to kind of see it differently. And on that same note, I know a lot of people, and I, I have fallen judgment of this too, where you kind of say like, oh, social media is kind of fake, like, People just post and things like that for clout and stuff, but social media does affect things. Like the reason like this stuff is here is because of social media. Like these these stories caught caught like fire on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and get, garnered so much national attention that things were done. Like the Amard Arbery case only happened because that video got leaked to social media. hundred percent. The only reason that person was arrested, which is that's why he got arrested, was almost two months later. Yeah. Because it went to social media. Like in I mean and. I agree. A lot of people do just post shit for clout, but yeah. I mean, it's it's important to post. It's important to retweet. It's important to put something on your story. It's important to put something on your Facebook. Like it, it, right. it matters. Right. I mean, it's an entire spectrum of it. I mean, social media is good and bad in its own right. Yeah. But you gotta you gotta admit that not one of us here get a good portion of our news from social media. Mm -hmm. You're going to get your information from there. But then you also have to like check it too. Yeah. yeah. So like that is Absolutely. one thing that um, I will bring up. Um, someone else when I even bring up the Kaepernick thing, I mm -hmm. did ask someone else about that, and they said that a lot of older people that were pretty much pushing the whole like against it were getting most of their information from Facebook, and some of it wasn't real so it's just oh, kind of like yeah. that's pushing the narrative and then the media is pushing that narrative and then it's just like you have to make sure you're really checking your sources yeah on a quick side note can we all admit that the worst people in the world when it comes to social media are like our parents oh god yeah. my god they're they're the problem with social their media. generation of like they're, they're, they're the they're most like, subject to facebook like they've all found like facebook in their like late 40s and it's just oh god it's ridiculous like my aunts like they like the way they comment like makes me cringe i'm like, not on facebook anymore for that exact i have reason. aunties that say like hey austin you look so handsome auntie whoever i'm like I know it's you. Like, <laughs> it says your it's name. Your, account. Like, your picture's there. I know it's you. Like, or write like just marathons of paragraphs. Oh, like, in, oh no. But that's another side note. We can get to that later. <laughs> Mom, stay off of Facebook. Diving back into these questions. So, we have one other submission. And here it is Quote Is being black in America more dangerous than an epidemic? Mm. Pandemic or epidemic? Says epidemic. I'm going to go being black, because being black in America the last 400 years or so, been pretty rough. I'm about to say. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. If, we do, if you compare the numbers, I, I would like to see if you compare the numbers, how many people have died from, like, say, like, police brutality or just... No, actually, no. I definitely have to say being black, though, because, one, it's been a longer, longer history of a longer ongoing history problem, problem in history. This pandemic, honestly, I understand it's a big deal, but... The pandemic's been around since last November, December. Yeah. Black people have been killed since 400 years ago. That sounds it up. Kayla, what you think? Um, yeah, I kind of agree with that. I feel like the epidemic things, they kind of come and go. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, but blackness, 
stays forever. I'm about to hit you like I'm about to hit you with a I'm about to hit you with a that's a t-shirt. That is COVID may come and go. My blackness Blackness stays forever. forever. You can get a vaccine for COVID. Can't get no vaccine for blackness. You can't. Nah. Thank you for that question. That was a good one. Okay. They did have a stand. They had a question. Um that wanted to get our opinion, who well, I guess is more of like a, a request. What's your opinion on rioting and looting in these situations? Um, this is a weird one. Oh, I don't actually know. I don't want to say it's weird because for so long we have been peaceful. And this is, I think this is the result of the repeated actions that have happened towards black people. I think at a certain point, you get tired of kneeling at the football games. You get tired of the peaceful protests. Martin Luther King got killed being peaceful. There becomes a point in time where the peacefulness gets you nowhere, and the next step, unfortunately, is violence. I don't think anyone inherently wants to, like, riot and loot and, like, destroy things, but at a certain point, you get tired of the okey-doke, you know? Mm -hmm. You get tired of, oh, be peaceful. Oh, do this. And then you say, oh, don't kneel. That's not what you're supposed to do. And now that, you know, you, you get tired of it. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't, you can't, like I said earlier, you can't put restraints on how somebody feels, on how some, on someone's emotions. So if that's what their emotions lead them to and, and they end up breaking something or rioting and looting and things like that, like, I, like this is what you have forced. Right. You know, that, that's what's been forced by, yeah. by the years and years of systemic oppression and nothing being done. Like we said, we see this every year. Every other month or so, we see someone else, black or brown, being killed, and nothing changes. It happens all the time. These police officers are getting off. They're maybe just losing their job. They're not getting any jail time. Nothing, nothing changes. So, I mean, do, do I want to sit here and say it's rioting and looting is great and we should all go burn everything? No, but uh, it, it's just it's inevitable. It's what, it's what you forced. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about it. Kind of to that point, like, I I understand the anger. I don't necessarily agree with the looting part just because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's, like, people were stealing, like, from liquor stores and stuff like that. It's like that. Like, what does that have to to do anything with anything? Yeah, I agree. But I feel like there could have been more strategic. Like, people could have been more strategic about it. Um, I feel like there's a way that, like, really to hit people, like, to, to get them to really understand, like, what's going on, like... Like, first of all, we're in a pandemic also, so we already have limited resources. So if you mess up any, uh, like there was in Philly, there was a couple places that were messed up. I know like in people's neighborhoods, like grocery stores and stuff like that. So like now those neighborhoods are kind of screwed because it's like, first of all, they don't really, yeah. And then they don't really care about us. So they're probably going to take a really long time to like put that stuff back. So that's one thing. So it's like maybe like hitting, I mean, I'm not trying to like teach people, tell people what to do, but it's like hitting those communities so that they can understand what it means. Maybe like if you hit their grocery stores, so they understand what it means to be in a food desert. So they have to travel further to like get Mm -hmm. food because most minority communities happen to be around food deserts. So it's like maybe doing something like that. So it was more strategic that like, yeah, you're messing up stuff, but like there's purpose behind it. What's the why? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I think um, my stance on it is, uh, is similar to, it's kind of like, Exactly what both of you guys said. You, it's, it's, I can understand the anger, um, obviously because it's been balled up. You've been told to do things peacefully, and then it's like someone's just like teasing you, or like you have like a bully that's kind of always like just messing with you. Eventually, eventually exactly. you just gotta snap and beat his ass. Like that's, eventually, that's, what, that's exactly that's a and great, that's that's a great and then, comparison. So, and then I see it this way as well. Think of it as a mirror. So 
this is everything that's been happening to this person. So if you see anything that's kind of coming as a result of that, it's a mirror of what's happening to them. People hurt people, hurt people or hurt things. They don't, it's never someone that's just like, just not affected by anything. This is people who have been hurt and just upset with how things have been. And then you're freaking out to the point where all you can do is think to just get radical, you know? So I understand that piece of it, especially whenever pro peaceful protest has been basically rejected. Yeah, ineffective. But also, I mean, there is a point people always say, like, you don't make decisions normally when you're angry, right? Because when mm -hmm. you try to make decisions when you're angry, you normally don't really know what decisions you're making. And I yeah. think that's kind of where we are now, that we're just all so angry that it's just like, I just need to take that anger out on something, which yeah. is like the disorganized rioting, looting, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Also, if you're going to hit something, hit uh, Sally Mae. Financial aid or something, you know, <laughs> get rid of them student loans, you know what I mean? I'll just say, I won't be mad at that. Where they building that? I won't be upset at that. If y'all can, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, if y'all want to do that. But no, I like, it's kind of going back to the quote before, like, I'm saying, like, what you risk in wrath is uh, abandonment of strategy. All of this, like, it is, I understand it, but if, if our goal is changed, if we're all focused on the goal, which is change in the system and just this, this cycle, then we have to make sure that we do things strategically. If it, if it was up to me, you see these things happen, and you 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 attack these things at the monetary perspective or in the voting booths or petitions, that's really how we get changed. I understand anger is a reaction, and it's necessary sometimes to let things out. And, but if we really, if the goal is changed, and the goal, we're focused on that goal, like then then you're going to react in those ways more so than rioting and looting. And I also think, too, that it's, like, trying to think of new policies and stuff to be putting in place. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. I feel like with protesting, um, I was talking to someone about this the other day, it's, like, you can protest all you want about what's going on, but if you don't have an idea of what needs to be changed, That's it's just kind of, like... Point. Yeah, it's, like, it's like if you're complaining about something, but you're not bringing any solution. Yeah. So, obviously, we know it's an issue, but, like, what do you think the solution should be? So, like, bringing yeah. ideas for policy change. We have a lot of black lawyers and people out there that are in law, so, like, we should be able to draft something right. for I policy remember change. That. I remember there was a point, remember in the period when there were people talking about reparations for black people? Um, people were, like, kind of advocating for that for a little bit. But whenever people were screaming, and like, oh, this is just what we should have, we should have reparations, but when people ask them, okay, well, what should you have? A lot of people didn't have answers to that. Mm -hmm. like, so I think that's, you've made a very good point. So not only voice what you think should change, but have an alternative. How it should change? Like how? Like, okay, you want this to yeah. change. Okay, how? Yeah. Don't be that, how do we get there? Right. Don't be that person that says, oh, I don't want to eat here. Okay, where do you want to eat? I don't know. That's, you know what I'm saying? That's pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. Exact same thing. So also, yeah. Thank you for that, Kayla. That was a very good point. Well, no, I think that was all the questions I had. Did you guys have any other questions? Uh, there was one more I just sent you that was, uh, someone said, why is it easier for society to accept black culture than black people or black rights? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I it's think really because black culture, you can accept and mimic and copy something such as culture without having to deal with like everything else attached to it. You can you can dress like a black person, talk like a black person, like adopt our music, adopt everything else without and like kind of be blindfolded to everything else attached to that. I think I, because it's so easy to, you know, M music is so universal. Like I use music as an example. Uh, you can kind of mimic something, mimic a sound, mimic the rhythm, mimic the beat and, and ignore everything else, you know. 
if you're going to adopt, you said that the question was adopt, like adopt us as people, correct? Is that, you know, you're going to bring, with, with me comes all my baggage, all my past, all my history, all my emotions, uh, you know, and I think that's, that's why it comes, we've said this multiple times in this podcast, like people are, it, it makes people uncomfortable to adopt somebody, you know? Like, and I think that's why the culture so easily picked up and adapted, but the people aren't. And when things like this happen in this situation, there's almost like this knee-jerk, nervous reaction of, okay, how do I react? Well, you were fine before when you were listening to our music, dancing, doing all this, that, and this, that, and the third. Why aren't you rocking with me the same? Because it doesn't, it's, it's easier. It's, it's yeah. something you can hide from. Yeah. And I guess my answer was tied to similar to kids, and it was touched specifically on the word uncomfortable, comfortability. Um, I compare it to the situation of it's easier to date people versus being in a long-term relationship for a lot of people. Um, because when you're in a long-term relationship, you have to deal with every aspect of that person. When you're dating, you can just take the good parts, just the dates or just the, the fun things, right? That's, that's culture. That's black culture. It's fun. It's, it's, infect, it's infectious. Everyone loves it, right? But whenever you take the people, you have to take the baggage of it. You have to take everything that we've been dealing with as well, you know? And it's a lot more comfortable to just take the good parts of something versus the neutral and negative parts as well, especially whenever it's almost directly correlated to a lot of the, pe the people who are receiving just the culture, you know? But that's why I would say, in a nutshell, is my answer. It's just the uncom uncomfortability. Is I agree with you guys both on that, but then I'm also just kind of thinking about how it kind of comes back to, like, we are great people. We're very creative, we're innovative, we do a lot of good things. But it's like, I feel like people don't want to recognize that because once you recognize that, that starts putting you at a higher level and they can't have that. Mm. And I feel like it's like, a, it, it kind of goes back to the oppression, systematic oppression thing that it's like, uh-oh, like they're getting a lot of, like they're, they're kind of, getting up there like yeah. but let's just try to find ways to put them back down so for instance like braids like for black women and stuff like that like if you wear braids sometimes people will call you out your name or say things like oh you're you're ghetto or this or that yeah. whatever but then when kim kardashian changed it up instead of wearing cornrows and stuff like that she's boxer braids it's like yo that's the hottest trend like mm. she's classy or she's cool like da 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 but it's yeah. like okay, so you can take it and profit off of it and make money from it, but then when we do it, you try to demean it and make it bad. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I feel like, I don't, it's like they're trying to play a game, kind of like when you're a kid and you try to say that like something that someone's doing isn't cool. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's not cool, but then you, you really like it, so you go back and like, you're like, I need to have it, and you go and you get it. It's like you, you want to be the first one to yeah. on it. Yeah, so it's like, I feel like it's kind of like one of those things, too. Like, it's like, I don't want to acknowledge, I want to keep taking from you, but I don't want to acknowledge your greatness, because once you, I acknowledge your greatness, you're going to try to overpower me. Yeah, yeah. Or, so, or at minimum, you're going to start setting your price. You're like, no, mm -hmm. like, this is, mine is our culture. Like, no, you have to give us credit for it. You have to give us some type of, you know what I mean? But if you even think about it, like, the people who normally run most of the record labels and stuff like that, too, they all have like money invested in that stuff and most of them are 
white people that are right. have control over all of those things. Yeah. Which is why we started. And then even like thinking about like we tried to start our own things like Black Wall Street, things like that. What did mm-hmm. they do to it? Got Burned rid of it. it down. That's a story. If I had, if I encourage any of my friends who aren't familiar with that story, please go look, look it up. up. Yeah. Hopefully, whenever I know uh, LeBron invested in the documentary that's supposed to come out on that. They but, make a documentary on it. Yeah, but I'm thank, I'm so thankful that they are because that's something cool. that, like that's something I think is highlights like American history very well. But then it go, kind of goes back to the point too. It's like when we have something like. The stereotype about black people is that, like, we can't really do much or, like, we don't... Lazy. Yeah, we're lazy. It's always bad things. But it's, like, if you really look at us as a people, we have a lot of... We've built this country. We've done a lot of great stuff. We've been fighting against the odds, man, you know? Yeah. And, like, all the stuff that makes us really really strong people. Very resilient. Yeah. So it's, like, why is that a stereotype? Like, you're trying to make us that way when, really, we're the complete opposite and we're basically building you up. Yeah. But they can't acknowledge that because once they do, it makes them less. Yeah. Potentially. Mm-hmm. No In their own mind. Playing field. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think these questions, for first off, for everyone who did submit questions, thank we really yeah, appreciate it. Those were really great questions. Um, no, nah, all of these questions were awesome. Um, closing it out, uh, one thing that I did say uh, I wanted to do uh, was have each of us kind of submit some type of. Uh, whether it's content, whether it's um, books, articles, uh, anything that people could kind of either get more educated or just get more exposure to a black experience. If it's a dope black movie that you think people should watch, or I even made a playlist uh, called The Black of the Berry on Spotify and Apple Music, just black music that will kind of give you a, um, just good black music that I think is dope for everyone to hear to kind of give you an insight into the experience. So if, there, if you guys have anything that you want to shout now or any black businesses that you think people should check out, um, so I, I kind of want to, I know I said this earlier, but just for therapy resources, definitely check out Therapy for Black Girls or Therapy for Black Men. And then there's also Black Female Therapists that's out there too. I'm, I'm on both of those platforms, but it's definitely a place that you can go to feel represented and have a therapist that can represent you. Um, I don't have anything in particular, but just, just use your resources. Uh, I mean, they're, they're all out there. Do your research. I mean... I sent Austin a link yesterday of, of it was someone that sent it to me. It's basically just a way you can you can help donate. If you don't have, you know, you don't have money to donate, there's way there's other ways you can use your like platform. You can watch like a YouTube video and this this particular video was set up and so where all the ad adsense went to different uh Black Lives Matter and different black uh um funds or I don't know my mind just went blank but uh different uh resources or whatever and things like that just just use your resources man it's all out there just you know and if you're not a person of color and you want to learn and and help just just reach out ask a question talk to your friends you know um it's a conversation that needs to be had regardless if you if it makes you uncomfortable or not so yeah for sure and especially anybody who does tune into this pod um if you made it this far and if you tune in period I will gladly, my, my, my DMs, my phone is always open. If anybody needs to talk about anything, I'm probably the easiest person to talk to. So don't hesitate. We are here for you. And definitely, social media is out there, man. So there's stuff out there you can check out. So don't be afraid to check your resources. 
But then again, Kalen, we appreciate you so, thank you, thank you, so thank you, thank you, thank much. You. This has probably been one of the best podcasts I've ever done in my life. I really yeah, appreciate it. Really well. thank, thank you, thank you guys for, for having on. me. I really enjoyed myself. No, it's been great. It's, um, and then what's your uh, what's your yeah. what's some places people can reach ID. you or get more info um, about you? Twitter. So my Instagram is therapy with Kalen. Um, therapy, and then my name is spelled K A Y L I N. Um, that's for Facebook too. Um, the name of my company is Kalen Ford Therapeutic Services. And then also I have a, a nonprofit called Light Your World Today. So you can check that out um, on Instagram as well um, and Facebook. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank um, you once for tuning again, in. Another episode. His name is Kid. His name is Crash. We love y'all, man. We out.